This week on Myths and Legends, we're back in the stories of Renard the Fox with a bit of a reboot based on a completely different, much older collection. We'll learn how to use a goat as a fishing pole and that maybe you should follow that creature that wants to eat you into the dark forest as protection from all those other creatures who also want to eat you. The creature this week is a hairy, big-headed snake who's very polite. This is Myths and Legends, episode 196, Chaotic Good. This is a podcast where I tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you might think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. We're back in the Renard Tales. Now, we've told a version of the Renard Tales once on this podcast, and they are beautiful and wonderful. I mean, they're horrifying and extremely graphic. They're like if Redwall had the morality and violence of Game of Thrones. Renard the Fox, as we know him, is, well, he's terrible. He's 100% an amoral opportunist. He likes to see the bad guys and the hypocrites get what's coming to them, but he'll also tear an innocent animal pilgrim to pieces if he can get his claws on them. That Renard became so popular in the Middle Ages that, according to one source I found, the French word for fox became Renard, and not the other way around, as I thought. Anyway, the Renard from the stories we told back in 105 A and B is not this Renard, though. In my research, I was able to find a different Renard. This Renard is from the earliest version, a 12th century beast epic originally written in Latin. The Renard in that tale, well, I don't want to ruin anything, but he has many more shades of gray, and I personally like him a lot better than the straight, evil opportunist Renard. We'll dive in, but first I want to open with a fable that's been roped into the Renard tales, one that starts not with Renard, but gives him an origin story of sorts. Because we're going to dive into a Scottish fable from the 17th century and meet Lawrence, Renard's father. Lawrence the Fox, Lawrence the Fox was making a change. I mean, right now, right now at this very second, he was making a change. The morning he had spent very much not making changes when he tried to murder and eat a rooster. Chancellor Tyr the rooster was on his way to his hen harem, which is both an extremely accurate and disturbing way to think about it. When a fox jumped out in front of him, the creature began to panic at this obviously hungry predator but Lawrence the fox didn't attack. He bowed. The rooster stepped back, uh, first, hi, second, what? Lawrence rose. He paced back and forth, blocking the rooster from the entrance to the hen house. He said he wanted to serve the rooster, as he had served the rooster's father. The rooster was taken aback. The fox knew his father? Lawrence nodded. Yeah, it had been, what, a year now? They had been friends, but the fox had heard of the rooster's crow, the younger rooster, the sun rooster, and he had heard that it was ten times more beautiful, powerful, and majestic than his father's. The rooster stopped fretting a bit. The, the fox heard this? Well, Lawrence nodded, oh yeah. All the animals said so. Lawrence couldn't believe it, so he had to come here for himself. <laughs> the rooster smirked. Well, uh, certainly. For a fan, he would be happy to do a private performance. He threw his head back and crowed. 
Lawrence gave an awkward slow clap. The rooster looked down. Was that a great performance or the greatest performance? The fox nodded. It it was good. He would let the rooster go now. The rooster stopped the fox from leaving. What, What about all that serving him? Was this crow? What could he fix? The fox paused. He said it was so good. Almost there. Maybe if he used some of his father's techniques, he would do a bit better. Like this. His father used to close his eyes and start low, focusing completely, and then working his way up to a full-on crow. Gave him power, momentum. The rooster nodded. Yeah. Yeah, that made sense. Okay, okay. He would give it a shot. He closed his eyes, swooped down low, and Lawrence grabbed him by his exposed neck. The fox broke and ran for the forest. For his hole, where he could kill the rooster and divide up his first meal in days. He had cut off the rooster's air, so it couldn't cry out. But he didn't count on the human widow who owned the house, turning and taking a look at that exact moment. She screamed for her collies. And maybe I need to think about this from a fox's perspective, because one of the poems uses a line that says they're a, quote, deadly doggy crew, and that just sounds adorable. The fox started flagging, though. His jaw started going slack. He was too tired, too hungry. The rooster bumping and bruising with each bound, realized as much. You're not going to make it, the rooster said. He could tell the fox was getting tired. Those dogs are going to tear you to pieces. They're not smart, though. You turn around and tell them we're friends? They'll leave you alone. The fox could hear the dogs. They were closer now. Too close. He wouldn't make it to the forest. He listened to the rooster. He spun around and spit out the rooster, saying that they were friends. This was just a fun, terrifying game they were playing. They swore an oath of friendship. The dog skidded to a stop. Oh, why didn't he say that? That made sense. And animals can't just say something that's not true. Cool, well, have fun, you guys, with your weird, murderous LARPing. The dogs turned and lumbered off toward their screaming master. Lawrence turned to the rooster. All right. Where were they? But all he saw was spit-soaked dirt. He looked up to the tree. Oh. The rooster, sitting there rubbing his neck, nodded. Yeah. Fox wasn't at the top of his game, was he? That was a pretty obvious trick. That was all this morning, though. And though Lawrence was still hungry, he knew that he needed to make a change. He needed to make an honest living. A living not based off theft, lies, and murder. He needed to make a change for his son. So he knew it was from God when he passed Friar Wolf Workharm. And despite being a wolf, who actually has the word harm in his name, Friar Workharm, well, he was one of the good ones. As far as they can be seen as good ones in 17th century Scotland. You see, back then, the local parish priests didn't have a high opinion of the friars. Friars were well-off and well-educated, and they would come through town and hold open-air sermons. Their purpose was bringing the gospel to the masses, and apparently their way was easier, and the atonement that the people had to go through wasn't as hard as the parish priests. Regardless, unlike his young protege, a wolf by the name of Isengrim, Friar Workharm wanted Lawrence to change his ways. He sat wide-eyed at the list of the young fox's sins. Wow, well, yeah, the fox needed a change. 
But the fox looked up earnestly. He didn't have a trade. He had to steal like his father, grandfather, like all the foxes before him. He had been born into this, but he wanted to break the cycle. Friar Workharm said that the way wasn't an easy one, but it was worth it. The friar said that the fox had already been through enough by the look of him. He had already done his penance. All that was left was for him to observe Lent and eat no flesh between now and Easter. Lawrence said no haggis, no blood sausage, and the wolf said if Lawrence was serious, he would observe these rules. If he wanted to change, he should make a change. Then, and only then, would he be forgiven and able to change his ways and the future of his family. Lawrence nodded. He would do it. He would change. Change, it seems, is hard. Friar Workharm said that he could still eat fish, because those apparently don't count for whatever reason. But as Lawrence dove into the rushing river, missing yet another salmon, he leapt to his feet and kicked a rock. This would never work. He and his son, Renard, would starve for his redemption. Then, he had an idea. He was trying to catch salmon with his hands, but he wasn't a bear, he was a fox. He was smarter than this, so he would work smarter. Then, he heard a bleeding. Nearby, a herd of goats was grazing. Lawrence picked up a reasonably sized one with sharp, developed horns and stepped from the forest. He swept the little guy's legs out from under him and threw him over his shoulder. At the river's edge, the goat bleating in panic and confusion, Lawrence told the kid to relax. He wasn't going to eat him. He just needed some help fishing. All right, holding the kid's body tight, Lawrence lowered the goat's head slowly into the water while he waited for a salmon to approach. It took a little while, and the goat fought at first, but he got with the program, evidently realizing that the sooner he stopped kicking, the sooner they could be done. So he relaxed, and minutes later, Lawrence hooked a big, fat salmon. Plucking the salmon from the goat's horns, Lawrence looked at the goat. Oh, little guy was sleepy. Really sleepy. Well, Lawrence couldn't even wake him up. Well, he deserved a nap for helping the fox stay on the straight and narrow. And Lawrence laid the definitely sleepy goat down on the grass by the riverbank. Honestly, it felt good. The fox was so excited to be living an honest life. He was now hunter of none, friend to all. Half-eaten fish for his family slung over his shoulder. He didn't even have to avoid the field of geese. He was now a God-fearing fox, helper to all animals, even those he used to hunt. Don't worry, friends. I will do you no harm and bear you no ill will. Go in peace on this day the Lord hath made, the fox said, as he walked past the stunned geese, just kind of making up blessings. And you, good sir farmer with your staff, may you also have a blessed day the fox said with a bow. The farmer wasn't nearly as confused as the geese when he cracked the fox across the head with his staff, killing him instantly. The smell of 
of rock gave him away. The farmer had left his father unburied. Bernard shuddered. The farmer had skinned the elder fox for his pelt and tossed the body in a field next to the fish. Now, both were rotten. It had been days. The carrion birds had been here, and Renard couldn't even carry his father's remains home. That was probably for the best. The ground by home was root-ridden and hard. Renard set to work in the dirt, and before long he had carved out a grave with his bare paws. He didn't pray, though. There wouldn't be any more of that. Friar Warcarm had come by to tell them the good news. That his father had heard the good news, and he was on the path to salvation. And now, he was dead. Renard patted on the dirt and said goodbye to his dad. His dad had been mistaken. There was no place for foxes in that world. His dad had tried to play by their rules, and he lost. And he would have every time, because their rules were their rules for a reason. Only they could win by them. Renard knew who he was, what he was, and he wouldn't try to be something that he wasn't. You don't stumble down a path that you know. From now on, Renard would play by his own rules. He immediately came up against problems when he returned to the burrow. He found the dog outside, demanding that Renard come to the lion and answer for his father's crimes. Renard nodded, yeah, sure, let him just get one thing from inside his hopelessly complicated, labyrinthic burrow with dozens of dead ends and even more secret entrances and exits. The dog nodded, yeah, sure, that checked out. Just come right out so you can stand trial. Renard nodded, absolutely. He slammed the door, and three hours later, the dog gave up waiting. Inside, Renard had just finished packing his bags. He looked over his childhood home. He was alone now, and the authorities would be after him for the crimes of his father. He would return, but he would wait for the heat to die down first. For now, though, he had to go. Bertiliana, a roe, so like a type of short deer, heard a noise in the forest. She was good at that. The fox walked from the forest, paws in the air. He was unarmed, and with just his claws and his teeth, he couldn't take down a roe, not even if he wanted to. But he said, make no mistake, she was in danger. What was she doing out here, all by herself? Bertiliana straightened up and poised her legs to run. She was on a pilgrimage. She was going to visit some of the shrines of the saints, ending in Rome. Renard shook his head. Well, uh, that's stupid. The rose ears pricked up. Excuse you. Renard told her no offense, but she was a prey animal. Out here on her own. The rose said that this was a civilized land now. Everywhere, from France to Rome, was under the rule of law. Whose law? Renard asked, as soon as she finished. The rose shrugged. Uh, the kingdom? The church? The kingdom, Renard observed, ruled by lions and administered by dogs. The church, staffed by wolves. Yeah, they're on your side. And whose side are you on? The roe asked, glancing warily into the forest. Bernard shrugged. I'm on my side. You see, I'm an omnivore. I go where there's opportunity. 
And right now, I see a lot of opportunity. He whistled, and a crashing and crunching came from the forest all around them. The row heard it. She was surrounded. She froze. And that's what you'd do, she heard the fox say when the noises stopped. You thought you were going to be torn apart by hunters, and we're seeing your response to that situation. Yeah, you're lucky you've made it this far. The row opened her eyes to see the predators, but she didn't see the predators. She saw animals like her. Reardius the stag, Bifritus the goat, Joseph the ram, Carcophus the donkey, Gerard the goose, Sprontinus the rooster, and, of course, Renard the fox. The row looked all around her. Who were these animals? Renard smiled a toothy smile. Us? We're your new traveling companions. Renard said that, as it turned out, he did have a useful skill. See, these simple, salt-of-the-earth creatures had the whole world against them, he said, patting a scowling Gerard the goose on the back. The predators of this world still ate meat, for goodness sake. And where did meat come from? It came from the types of animals they found here. The carnivores were in control, too. The animals needed help. They needed Renard. Thoreau smiled. Wow, that was so kind of Renard, doing God's work and protecting these animals. Renard grimaced. What? No, ew. He didn't do any of this out of the goodness of his heart. He did this because, like it or not, he thought like a predator. But you don't, you don't cut the head off a chicken who lays good eggs, he said, walking over to the rooster who was neither a chicken nor laid eggs. You don't slaughter a milk cow in the prime of her life. These animals, they paid. And he helped them stay safe on their way to Rome. Thoreau asked the fox what was stopping him from turning on all of them. Renard said that he was one fox and they were his bread and butter. Besides what, he could take maybe two out of the seven in a straight fight, maybe? The rooster had those spurs, though, and geese, geese could get mean. Yeah, it just didn't make sense to turn his own livelihood against himself. Renard said, I, I wouldn't stand a chance. I mean, not like the wolf that has been stalking the row for the last seven hours. Pertiliana's ears shot up straight. What? That was impossible. Oh. Oh, no. She turned back to Renard, who was nodding. Yeah. Hear him now? He's not the only one, either. Renard said he didn't intend for this to be a join-or-die thing, but hey, happy accident. So what'll it be? We'll see that, yes, there is a wolf on their tail, and we'll see him come for the animals, but that will be right after this. Isengrim, the wolf, crept toward the hostel. He looked at the door, pressed shut against the night. The windows glowed with a growing fire. Two deer, two birds, a donkey, a goat, and a ram. He could eat for weeks. He didn't know what the fox's game was, and he didn't care. Those seedy little bottom feeders were always running some sort of scam. Friar Workharm always thought that they were worth saving. Oh, so sad. And maybe that was because they made such stringy meals. Regardless, Friar Workharm was gone now, and Isengrim was no longer an apprentice. He was a wolf, an abbot. The world was his. Kill and eat, 
the good book said. Isengrim was only following God's word. So he would wait until these animals were asleep and tear their throats out. I told you to watch the door, the wolf heard from inside the hostel. The door rocked on its hinges. I'm watching it, the donkey yelled back, mouth full. My mouth is here, but my eyes are on the door. Yeah, the door's down the hall, another argued, and the animals inside kept going. As the wolf got dressed in his habit, cinching his rope belt, he strode toward the door. Before he could knock, though, the door flew open. Father, Renard said, beaming. Isengrim the wolf matched his smile. Hello, everyone, it's an abbot, the fox said, calling back down the hall to the room. The room erupted in ooh, ah, and excitement. Renard told the wolf to come in from the cold, please. They were a group of pilgrims making their way to Rome. They would be honored to show a creature of God hospitality for the evening. Renard sat the wolf down at the table, asking the creature's name. He smiled. He was Father Isengrim. Renard froze. Isengrim. He trained under Friar Workharm, wasn't it? The wolf nodded. Yeah, yeah. Renard forced a smile. His father had been Lawrence. Isengrim pursed his lips. Ooh, sad story that. The poor fox was so close to salvation, but he was killed, what, while stealing geese? A tragic backslide. But it seems the wicked will be punished. Oh, yes, they will, the fox replied. And then he looked to his compatriots. Well, it looked like the donkey ate the last of the grain, but the wolf wouldn't have been interested in that anyway. The fox looked at the stag. Did they still have him? The antlers nodded. Yeah, of course. They were on their way out, though, so you might want to eat him today. Good news, we have meat, the fox beamed. Did the wolf eat meat? The wolf placed his paws on his chest and made a frown. He ate what was placed before him. He made no demands, whether for or against any type of food. He was a grateful, God-fearing wolf. Oh yeah, I bet you are, Renard replied, and whistled for the donkey. Mind bringing out the wolf heads? Isengrim's eyes widened. The what now? Bernard shrugged. Yeah, it was good thing the wolf wasn't picky, because this was pretty much the end of their food. What was it, two days ago? Three, the stag interjected. He was still washing blood from his antlers, he said. Three, thanks, the fox noted. Yeah, the wolf would be happy. These wolves, they weren't good wolves, like Isengrim. These only pretended to be good. They caught the first one about to maw a hermit. And they were only doing what was right, to protect the church, of course. The other two, well, they come to the aid of the first. Stalking in the woods. Isengrim knew how wolves were. And there were more of you, right? Isengrim asked, swallowing hard, to take on three wolves? Oh, less actually, Renard acknowledged. We actually picked up the row today. Anyway, everyone here was a herbivore, except Renard. And the fox wasn't a fan of wolf. They held on to them just in case, because they had room. But the meat was still good. Renard would even share some with him. Bring them out. And they did. The wolf was so terrified that he didn't realize that the one wolf head the group had, the one they had chanced on a day or two ago, from a corpse they found recently dead on the side of the road, had been dressed up three times. Some makeup here, a wig there, and I guess it looked like three different wolves. Renard held up his hand on the last one. This was good. 
Thanks, Joseph the Sheep. He looked on the wolf and turned to Isengrim. Ooh, this one wasn't a fighter. It had some good marbling, even in the face. Here, dig in. As Renard took the knife and cut into the wolf's face in front of him, Isengrim threw up in his mouth. He stood. He, he needed to go. Renard followed his companion in standing. What, why? Was it their hospitality? The wolf shook his head. And then he looked at the surrounding group. The ram's horns, the buck's antlers, the rooster's spurs. They had taken down three wolves that were bigger than him. What had he wandered into? Renard put his paw on the wolf's arm. Well, he hoped it wasn't their hospitality. Seriously, it was dangerous to go alone. Take this to give you some energy. Renard held up a makeshift doggy bag. Huh? And then the wolf pushed it back. No, stop shoving wolf bits in his face. Renard apologized and then turned to the stag. Make sure he gets out into the night safely. Make sure he gets everything he needs before he leaves, too. Renard apologized to the wolf that their hospitality had been wanting. An Isengrim grimaced and made his way off down the corridor toward the forest at night. This is unseemly. This creature is an abbot. The rooster screeched. The stag was already outside. The door was open, but the rooster was standing in their way, screeching that this was their guest. He was a creature of God. He should stay. If anything, they should leave, and he should get the hostel. The ram told him to get out of their way so they could close the door. Isengrim, too, said that it was super cool. He was good with the forest. Plenty of animals to e bless in the name of God out there. The ram shoved the rooster aside. In or out. He needed to close the door. There was a lot of shuffling and the appearance of confusion because as the stag helped the abbot wolf out the door and the rooster got it out of the way, finally, the ram got the door closed on the wolf. Isengrim shrieked, pinned at the waist by the door. He wasn't out. He wasn't out. The ram sat down, saying that he thought he would rest there for the night. Wait, did anyone else hear that? It sounded like screaming. The wolf shrieked that it was screaming. He was screaming. The ram shook his head and then looked to his side, to the wolf's legs clawing, scratching the floor. What? Oh no, guys. Isengrim, the abbot, was stuck. Isengrim heard a collective gasp go up from the other side of the door. They had to get him free. Isengrim struggled to say that all they had to do was open the door. Why weren't they opening the door? Outside, the stag sighed. You know what? The rooster was right. It had been shameful to let Isengrim go without proper hospitality. Isengrim was groaning. Seriously, he was just happy to leave now. The stag shook his antlers. No, he needed to give the wolf a drink for the road. But the only thing Isengrim would be drinking was his own blood. When the stag brought his antlers down hard on the wolf's jaw, the wolf screamed, What was the stag doing? What was this? The stag said, I know, it's not enough. He knew the abbot was just being polite. Here. While the stag resumed smacking the predator, inside, the animals were trying to find a way to get him through that door. The ram tried helping him with his horns. The goat headbutted him. The roe and donkey kicked at him. And the rooster leapt atop his back, pecking and tearing with his talons. What's that? Gerard the goose asked as the wolf writhed in pain under the onslaught of animals who were supposed to be his dinner. 
The goose was looking in between the wolf's legs, to some things hanging down. I didn't know the wolf had two tails. The fox laughed. Oh, bud, no, those are... That's not a tail. The goose shrugged and bit. With that one bite, the wolf found the extra motivation he needed to find his grip on the floorboards and tear himself free from the door and all the animals pummeling away on him. He scrambled, limping and whimpering, into the forest. The animals high-fived and gathered around Renard. They embraced and thanked him. They didn't know where they would be without him. Uh, okay, uh, well, we can do this. Uh, parts of you will be here, some over there, Renard said, pointing across the hallway. Some will be dragged out in the forest if they tried to run. Most will be inside the wolf. The animals grimaced. He always did that. He always took things too far. Renard pushed them back. He didn't need hugs. The money was enough. Remember this when they made it to... He trailed off. His ears pricked up. He turned to the row. She nodded. She heard it too. Renard yipped to the stag. Get inside. He turned to the ram. When he does, shut the door. Stand there. He listened far off. Eight, maybe ten. Wolves. Friends of Isengrim were coming. Then, a crash alarmed all the other animals. It was back in the kitchen. They were surrounded. All right, new plan. Open the door. Renard boomed. Get to the roof. The roof? The stag was incredulous. Renard said that it was the only place where they had a chance of fighting off the wolves. He pushed past the stag and threw the door open himself. And there, at the edge of the forest, glowing in the moonlight, ten pairs of wolf eyes watched them. Go! The birds made it quickly. So did the goat and the ram. Surprisingly nimble for his size, the stag and roe wasted no time prancing up. Renard scrambled up the boxes and barrels lining the house and did a quick count. Oh no. He scanned the ground and found Carcophus the donkey, the ring of wolves slowly closing around him. Carcophus, roof, now! Renard screamed. The portly donkey heard his guide and lumbered over to the wall. The wolves were careful. They didn't want to get kicked. But as they saw the rather large beast of burden making an ill-fated jump for the roof, managing to not only barely hook his hooves, but also kick out his own support leaving him dangling off the roof, the wolves slowed and laughed. The meal was trapped. Now, all they had to do was sit back and let the donkey fall. Just then, the wolves that had broken in the kitchen emerged from the hostel. They were about to ask what happened to the group, but then they looked up. At that moment, the thatch beneath the donkey's hooves came loose and the animal was in freefall. The two wolves had just enough time to do absolutely nothing before the donkey crashed down on them. There was a crack and a pair of yelps, and then the whole area surrounding the house fell silent. The donkey sprang to his feet. Oh my gosh, was he all right? Was his leg broken? Oh, his legs weren't broken. That's really bad for us, by the way. That's like instant death for a beast of burden, especially in these times. Good thing this hairy, squishy thing broke his fall, he said, squishing a barely recognizable wolf head half a dozen times. Oh. At just that moment, Renard scrambled to the edge of the roof. Anyone else want what he got? The other two fell from my completely intentional plan. Who wants to be wolf number six this week? 
the wolves, the wolves couldn't comprehend what was happening. Wolves didn't die. Not at the hands of a motley band of herbivores, at least. Lions, yes, bears, sure, but a donkey killing two of them? This, this was unheard of. Especially after Isengrim, the smartest of their number, had been so decisively, and also literally, beaten. The pack broke and ran, leaving the stunned but cheering animals on the roof. Bertiliana the Roe leapt to the ground. Grippo Three Bellies was the only wolf left alive, but he had been crushed by the donkey. Whether he had minutes or hours, he wouldn't last the night. Bertiliana walked up to him. His breathing was labored, and each exhale was half whine, half yelp. Such a fearsome predator. Those eyes, those teeth, that nose that could always find them. It was a wonder any of the other animals ever survived. You follow him? Grippo Three Bellies asked the roe. You follow the fox? Bertiliana looked to Renard, climbing down from the roof, and nodded. You're going to die. He's going to turn on you. He'll turn on all of you. He'll lie for as long as he has to, and say whatever he needs to. But you give him half a chance. He'll eat each and every one of you. You know what you are. You know what he is. We were wolves. Look what he did to us. Then, the wolf's face contorted in pain and lolled back, mouth hanging open. He was dead. What did he say to you? The road jumped at the words. Renard was standing there, with the knife sticking out of, let's say, bellies two and three for Grippo three bellies. Uh, nothing. He didn't say anything. Just, just nonsense. The roe said, stammering. Good, Renard said, and pulled the knife free, cleaning it. He nodded to the roe and went to go loot the pockets of the other wolf, while the rest of the animals were breaking open a wine barrel. Bertiliana the roe watched Renard, and she wondered. She wondered if the wolf had been telling the truth, if they were in danger, and if an animal really could change. That's where we're going to leave it right now. I don't know about you, but I find this new Renard to be a, well, a nice change of pace from the old one. I mean, the old one was entertaining, of course, but chaotic good Renard protecting animals from the wolves inside the fence is kind of the hero we need right now. We'll catch up with all of them soon, still making their pilgrimage, but now they've made a powerful enemy, and we'll see Renard try to stay one step ahead of not just a pack of wolves, but his own nature lurking just underneath the surface. That's it for this week. Next week, we're going to be back in the Viking Legends, from the same source as Arrowod, Thorstein Mansion Might, and that crazy Etta Stoop story from a few weeks back. But in the meantime, if you'd like more episodes, as always, there's a membership thing on the site. For less than the price of a laser tattoo remover that you can buy on Amazon for some reason, you can get extra episodes and ad-free versions of the show, where a whole year's worth 
is cheaper than a tattoo remover, which either won't work and you shouldn't buy it or will work and you definitely should not buy it because you shouldn't be doing that yourself. To get more information on the membership, check out support.mythpodcast.com. The creature this week is the Talisem from Bulgarian mythology. Despite its name, meaning dead man, the Talisem is just a big snake with a big head. And I don't think we're supposed to take that to mean cobra or something, but just a snake with a big head. Adding even more confusion, it's said that the reptile is also hairy. Despite being big and snaky, the creature won't even try to eat you, which is a refreshing change. In fact, it respects your boundaries and waits to be invited in. Once a year, on a church holiday, and I couldn't figure out which one, you can invite them in. And you already know how. Of course, you just burn an item of clothing to invite a big-headed hairy snake into your home. That's common knowledge. You don't need me to tell you that. But you won't actually see the talisman. The next morning, you'll wake up and find one of two things leading away from the fire. If you find footprints leading away, congrats. You're about to be very rich. If you find, quote, a smell or a scent trail, you could be somewhat less rich, but you'll have more friends. Let me explain. With the footprints option, you should bring a friend because the treasure at the end will require a human sacrifice to remove the curse. So you have the choice of taking a treasure that will either disappear or be cursed where great misfortune or death will follow those who can take it, or you can roll the dice and murder another human for gold. As if that also didn't carry consequences of likely great misfortune or death. For the scent option, you don't need a human sacrifice. Just an animal sacrifice. Fun. Or here's an idea. Maybe don't play at all. Keeping your clothes unburned and not following the footsteps or stink of a demonic, hairy, big-headed snake out into the dark to commit murder. Just saying. That's it for this week. Myths and Legends is by Jason and Carissa Weiser. Our theme song is by the band Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to even more music in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time.